Good morning. Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church of Columbus, Georgia. We're glad that you're here to join us as we worship God by offering our prayers and singing songs and listening to scripture. Please come in with us that we may worship God together. The first lesson comes from the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Let us listen that we may hear what God will share with us. For thus says the Lord God, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out as shepherds seek out their flocks when they are among their scattered sheep, so I will seek out my sheep. I will rescue them from the places to which they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out of the, for the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on their mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in all the inhabited parts of the land. I will feed them with good pasture and the good mountain heights of Israel shall be their pasture. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and they shall feed on rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weakened, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, I shall judge between the sheep and the sheep, between rams and goats. It is not enough for you to feed on the good pasture, but you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture. When you drink of clear water, must you foul the rest with your feet? And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have fouled with your feet? Therefore, says the Lord God to them, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep between, because you pushed your with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak animals with your horns until you scattered them far away. I will save my flock and they shall no longer be ravaged. I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will set up over the, them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord God, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, has spoken. The word of the Lord. This scripture reading comes from Matthew 25. It is uh, often called the judgment of the nations. Let us listen that we may hear these words as Matthew records what Jesus said as he taught in Jerusalem. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of glory and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand, and he will put the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. 
I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, You that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not give me clothing. Sick, and, you, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then the, they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly, I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The word of the Lord. Maurice Rowland was a cook and Miguel Alvarez a janitor. They were employees of the Valley Springs Manor in California. Several years ago, that facility shut down. The owner had violated codes and laws regarding residential care for people who had dementia or who were too sick to care for themselves. So they were shut down by the local authority, by the state authorities, and the owners stopped paying the staff. The only problem was they had residents in this facility that needed attention, and there was no one to attend to them. No one came except Maurice, the cook, and Miguel, the janitor. For two days, they came and took care. They passed out medications, they fixed meals, they cleaned as best they could, and they were not paid at all. For two days, while the state authorities tried to figure out what they would do with this community, this, these people who were in need, Maurice and Miguel showed up, not being paid, doing the care they could as they was needed. What do you make of that kind of response? How many of us would show up to take care of some other people when we weren't being paid for it? How many of you would show up? How many, it's a question for me too, would we show up to our jobs if we weren't being paid? The story that Jesus shares in Matthew 25 is either very exciting or very disturbing. It is exciting to think that following Jesus can be so much a part of our life that we don't even realize we're doing it. Wouldn't that be great? It can be disturbing to realize 
that maybe not all of us, including ourselves, I'll put myself there, are good at following directions. We live in a world where we want directions. We want to know what the information is so we can make our plans based on it. And that is reasonable and that is rational and that is worthwhile and good. If we know what is required for a healthy lifestyle, what sort of diet we need to be on, what sort of exercise regimen we need to tend to, then we can plan to do it. If we know how much we need to set aside for our retirement planning, then we can consult with professionals and we can make a plan. If we know what to believe, then we know what there is to do. In fact, that's exactly what the Presbyterian Church USA says in our book of confessions. We have the Bible, which is the Word of God, which we look to for authority and direction. We also have a collection of confessions that date from ancient times to more contemporary times. The Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed are in there, along with the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Declaration of Barman, things that span the centuries of the life of the church. These documents are ways in which Christians in their particular age wrote out how their faith in Jesus mattered and how they attended to follow it. So we have a book. We have a couple of books to look at, to find resources for that. The book of confessions is defined this way. In the, Pre the Presbyterian Church, USA, states its faith and bears witness to God's grace in Jesus Christ in the creeds and confessions of this book. In these statements, the church declares to its members and to the world who and what it is, what it believes, and what it resolves to do. That's pretty powerful. In these statements, the church declares who and what it is, what it believes, and what it is to do. I won't ask for a show of hands about how well any of us do these things. When we know what it is we need to do, how do we make our plan and go forward? Because I'm aware that sometimes we may know something, but we don't always execute on that to the degree that we want to. We may do <clears throat> fairly well. <clears throat> we may do partially well. We may even get it all the time. Some, sometimes we may get all of the things we need to do. But there are times and there are places when we know something, but we just don't quite make the final connection. We need God's Spirit to show up in those times and places in our life and in our faith where we aren't sure. We need ways to have God inform us and lift us up so that what we do then becomes what we believe and transforms us into those things. One idea, when I, when I began writing this sermon, one of the things that I thought about was using this parable that Jesus tells to talk about 
ways to extend our love into the community. When we share, as the parable suggests, then we make a difference in the world. Along those lines, I came across a story about the Mennonite theologian Myron Augsburger. He and his wife traveled to Basel, Switzerland, and they visited a church there, St. Martin's Church. And in front of the church, there is a statue. It is a statue of Martin of Tours. And he was a Roman soldier who converted to Christianity. The story goes that the sculpture was inspired by a story that came about. Martin came into the city of Basel on a very cold day. And as he came into the city, being a soldier, he was cloaked with a Roman soldier's cloth, cloth, uh, coat, and he was walking in. He was approached by a beggar, and the beggar asked him for alms, for help, for money. Martin had none to share, so what he did was he took his coat, and he cut it in half, and he gave half of it to the beggar. That night, Martin had a dream a vision, if you will. And in the vision, he died and he went to heaven. And there he met Jesus. And he saw that Jesus had, was wearing one half of a Roman soldier's coat. An angel asked the Lord, Master, why are you wearing that old beat-up coat? And the reply came, my servant Martin gave it to me. That is a great story. It is something that we can aspire to and we can hope for, and it holds out a a standard that we can move to. It it helps fill in those blanks about what do we believe? We believe that we should assist and provide, and how do we do it? Sometimes it's as simple as taking the coat off your back. But it also leads to a thinking that sometimes what we have to do is keep score. All too often when we hear someone speak about God, there is a kind of scorekeeping that goes on, a kind of ledger of life, that, if you will, We Protestants call that works righteousness, and we are proud to say that we don't do it, but the reality is we do. We keep score. We keep score in our religious life, just as we keep score in other ways. The question is, what do we do about it? The reason that we focus on keeping score is why we have the prayer of confession every week in, in worship. We come into worship, and one of the first things we do after singing praises to God is we pray, and we pray for forgiveness. We confess the ways in which we have not filled out our hopes, the things that we, were, we should have done. But I know, I've done this long enough to know, that people sometimes feel funny about those prayers of confessions. People say to me, I don't have anything to confess. I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't, I haven't murdered anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen this week. 
Yeah, that's true. Even last year, candidate Donald Trump said that. He says, I don't need to ask for forgiveness, or at least not much. Yet, no matter how much any of us, how good any of us think that we are, we all need to practice the discipline of confession. Because without it, we cannot be accountable to anybody. We cannot be accountable to ourselves or to our family or to our church or to the world without acknowledging that there are things out there that we have left undone and there are things that we have done that we should not have done. To find the place and the time for reconciliation and for healing, we must confess, we must acknowledge that there are things that we stand in need of. Several weeks ago, someone made an offering that was a critique of the, one of the prayers of confessions we used. I don't know who it was. I don't, um, I was not spoken to directly about it. It wasn't even addressed to me, but there was just a note, one of the little notes in the, pay, in the pews somebody had taken and, and had written out something to the effect that the prayer of confession today was really harsh. I went, yeah, sometimes they are. And I don't remember the exact day it went, but I went back and I've, I looked, as I was thinking of this, I, I went back and I looked at some of them and there was, there was one that came from the first Sunday of October that, that included this line, sometimes the greatest sin of all is our own complicity with what is wrong in the world. We want to love you as, as you commanded Jesus, but too often we catch ourselves justifying the injustice of hunger and poverty and war and prejudices we, don't, we didn't know we had. Yeah, that's pretty harsh. And maybe we didn't think we were involved in any of those that week or this week, but there we are saying these words. Consider the prayer of confession we just shared a few minutes ago that you find in your bulletin. Righteous God, you have crowned Jesus Christ as Lord of all. We confess that we have not bowed before him, and we are slow to acknowledge his rule. We give allegiance to the powers of this world, and we fail to be governed by justice and love. Big concepts. Yet, they speak to the smaller pieces of our life. But in each prayer of confession, every time we come into this room and we share one of those, we acknowledge what we have not done. And then there is always a prayer or piece of that prayer that speaks to transformation. From several weeks ago, it, it ran, forgive us so that the lessons we learn, the lessons we learn from our confession and the Spirit's nudging may help bring us the peace and love that you seek in our families, in the church, in the world. And even today, in your mercy, forgive us, raise us to acclaim Jesus as ruler of all, that we may be loyal ambassadors obeying the commands of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we confess, we acknowledge, we seek to turn away from that which was bad to God. That's what we do. We seek that movement to turn. Well, why do we do this? Those are big cosmic concepts, justice and love and grace and mercy. Those are big things. Why do we do that? Have you been reading the news lately or watching the, reading the internet or watching the news on television? There's a whole host of headlines and stories that scream about the sexual harassment of women and men by some people who have power and privilege and authority. It is not anything that is new, but that does not mean that it is right or that it should be ignored or justified or written away. When I was in college in Birmingham, one Saturday morning, a cold winter Saturday morning, I had been hired to work at a local high school in a festival they were having. I didn't have a car, so I started walking. And as I walked down the road, a car pulled over, and a man rolled his window down, and he said, do you want to ride? Well, it was cold. I mean, it was like, you know, I don't know, 45 degrees. It wasn't that cold. I mean, it was, it was really cold. It was really cold. So I said, sure. And I got in the car. It wasn't very far to the high school, but as we rode along, his hand came over and grabbed my thigh. I got out of that car as fast as I could. Confession lets us know that that sort of behavior is wrong. It's wrong. That is not the right way to use power and privilege and authority. We all have been granted tremendous blessings in our life in so many different ways. And we all in some way do have some power, some privilege, some authority, and it is wrong to use those in ways that debase other people or that intimidate other people or that call us to or create violence and, and, and horror in the world. By coming in and acknowledging that the world is not right in the prayer of confession. We acknowledge that we have a role in that. We're not always on the right side of stuff. Sometimes we get things wrong as well. And the only way we can make it better, the only way that we can change is to acknowledge our faults, our failures. And sometimes a failure is not what we've done, but what we didn't do. Clarence Jordan was from Talbotton, Georgia. He was a farmer and a preacher. Actually, he had a PhD in Greek New Testament. He was a very bright man. He started the Koinonia Farm Community in America's Georgia. 
And one of the great legacies of that work was that that is the place where Millard Fuller went and from which Habitat for Humanity was born. One of Jordan's projects was to translate the New Testament into what he called the Cotton Patch Translation. It was a, a way of um, trying to take the language that we know, particularly with the King James Version, but also other versions as well, and put it into a colloquial Georgia version of the Bible. So in Matthew 25, instead of sheeps and goats, Jordan uses cows and hogs. And instead of the king, he talks about the leader of the movement. When those who are hungry uh, and thirsty responded to Jesus, or, or responded to, to the leader, um, and they said, you've done this for us, the leader says, when you done, have done it to one of the humblest brothers and sisters of mine, you have done it unto me. When you have provided food or clothing or shelter or health or comfort to anyone, you have done it unto the leader of the movement, unto the king. Likewise, when those who did not do this, ask. The leader responded, when you failed one of the humblest people, you failed me. There are many times in our lives when we do get it right, and we know what to do, and yet there are many times in our life when we have some failure. The message is not that we are all condemned, but the message is we can change. We change not simply as some sort of fire insurance policy, but we change so that God can use us where we are here and now. Author Greg Garrett sums it up this way, the Bible's central message is not about believing in God so you go to heaven when you die. In fact, in Matthew, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus laments that many people will call him Lord, but only those who act upon his teachings will be his followers. And then he points out, he says, remember the good, great commission? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And teaching them and sharing with them, not just the belief, but sharing them with them also what it is they are to do. And as we do, we learn who we are. That is a real way of extending God's love into the world. Now, here. Thanks be to God. Amen. It's been a privilege to join you this day in worship. We're glad that you were here. 
First Presbyterian Church seeks to serve and minister in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor. Go in peace as you love and serve God.